Oh, I love this trope. If this is the right trope I'm thinking of, but is um. it McCoy is awesome and no. needs to fall in love? Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Abby. And I'm Chelsea. And welcome to Three to Beam Up. Today we are going to be talking about season two, episode eleven, Friday's Child. This is the first episode since we've started podcasting that I did not remember legitimately. Oh, it took you this long. Because <laughs> there it have been several. It took me this long. Honestly. I know. Honestly, I'm out there with you. Like, this is, I don't know why this is such a forgettable episode. Because it doesn't seem like it should be. No. There's a lot of things in it that I feel like I should have remembered. Abby, Abby, did you remember this one? I didn't really, know. I, like but I'm like, I have a Swiss cheese memory. My problem is I really do forget a lot of things. Like, even some of the episodes we've already watched, I've kind of forgotten. <laughs> oh, boy. I think I could list them all in order. Okay, but I, I mean, bad. I have a weird memory. I have a weird, weird just, memory. Well, I, um, I take it. I read a lot. I watch a lot of shows. Like, it just kind yeah. of all goes together eventually. And I have, like, if you remind me, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But off the top of my head, I can never do that. So when you started watching this one, did you say, oh, yeah, this one? Mm, it took me until the baby, I think, when I went, oh, like when I figured out she was actually pregnant because she came on screen and was like, she looks, is that a maternity dress? That looks awkward if it's not a Boy, maternity also, dress. <laughs> also, that, the, Julie Newmar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even I know who she is. Um, <laughs> it took me to the credits. I was like, oh, she kind of looks familiar. Um, and then the credits were going by and I wanted to remind myself who wrote and directed this one because I was pretty sure, but... Um, then I was like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Julie Newmar. Mm. It's a pretty good pull for Star Trek. Well, can we start with some costumes and talk about, I don't know, I first think we're going to spend the whole episode talking about those costumes. <laughs> oh my because... God, those costumes. <laughs> That's All my right. first note for the episode is, wow, <laughs> those <too>. costumes. <laughs> but the wig also, the wig and the, the, the people's costumes, they're amazing. Wait, whose wig? Chekhov's wig? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Although I thought it looked his, better will, this time. I, I thought it say, looked better this time. I did too. I had that note. I was like, I'm like, I think Chekhov's still in a wig, but it does look better. Like someone actually it like brushed doesn't it. Doesn't look good. <laughs> no, no, it still looks terrible. But, <laughs> but it looks a lot better than it, last time. Yeah, yeah, it does. That is true. I think yeah. it's a different wig. Last time it looked like he was wearing really? a different wig underneath this wig, mm-hmm. and that, that that was what was going on. That he yeah. was wearing like two wigs for reals. Um, yeah. Ugh. But those, okay, the dresses, the hats, the hair. Oh, my God. I assume that was all their own hair. Obviously, um, yes. <laughs> well, not the lady. Uh, Wait. I guess I'm With not. Her, her braid, like, on top. Oh, yeah, it's super not her hair. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. This, I was talking about the, like, long, flowing blonde hair coming out of the top. Oh, obviously, the, the yes. Well, yeah. obviously, that's ridiculous <laughs> as well. <laughs> I thought that was more, more likely to be a wig, but. Yeah. Um, well, they did right. want them to look very tall and imposing, so most of the I extras mean, yeah, were given sense. elevated shoes. Yeah, um, yeah. And, they, and the tell. hats were supposed to do the same do thing, basically, too. as make them look bigger. So, Which I think kind of worked. I yeah. mean, they're, they're bizarre costumes, but they are amazing. Um, yeah, and the camera angles from below really help. Oh, sure. No, they do a great job of making these people who are essentially wearing, like, <laughs> like sashes... <laughs> neon colors look very very imposing yeah, i felt like they just um, looked in their costume shop and were like here are some scraps let's throw these onto some jumpsuits and see how it goes it was i mentioned so strange. it yeah i mentioned it last time i couldn't decide if this if i was more um linked to power rangers or the <laughs> ginyu force from dragon ball and i, I power rangers I, I, i'm assuming makes sense to you but man there are plenty of times where they're standing out in the desert and they're all just kind of like standing there posing. <laughs> it's like the desert. You mean the foreign planet? No, I mean the Power Rangers also fought a lot of villains in the deserts of Southern California. So. Yeah. <laughs> or realistically, I guess a lot, a lot of those fight scenes were Japanese. But um, yeah, they definitely were doing the same sort of stuff as the Power Rangers. Yeah, it did feel that, pretty Power Rangers. That Ranger. one, that one fight scene. 
There were there were several, but oh, but to to return to the costumes, I did feel really bad for them because apparently when they were filming, it was like 110 degrees. Oh boy! Yeah, I read that. <laughs> well, so... a lot of the times they're like very much sweating, and I'm not sure that that was meant to be. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't, but it was 110 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean they're like they're pretty gross in some of those close-ups. Looks like some uh, nice moisture-wicking fabrics, you know. Yeah, I don't think they had those in 1968 no, or whatever this was. Ugh, it was those costumes. They were just—they're almost—they're. They stay distracting for the entire episode. Like, they never fade into the background. Because they're different enough from character to character. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. That they're very strange. We see, yeah, so, we see a ton of those in the past where it's like... Um, you get characters that all have the same. But these are all different enough that... It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. No, it is. So, I love this episode. And I have a feeling that you two probably don't. I have no there? strong feelings about this episode at all. Yeah, I think all. that's where I am too. Like, I don't <laughs> know that um, it's not. I don't think there's anything that is so bad to be uh, damning to the episode, right? It's not just. It's dumb, but it's campy dumb, right? That we haven't mm-hmm. seen much in Star Trek. But like, lots of times we see this dumb dumb. Uh, Scotty is an <laughs> idiot, right? Scotty is acting like an idiot the whole time. We'll talk about <gasps> Disagree! That. I love oh, Scotty on. in this episode. Scotty is so... Uh, he's like, oh, this is obviously a trap. I guess we better sit around for another eight hours and make sure No, he has to... No, I... No, no. He's following No, protocol. no. Paul, you're wrong. Scotty is being an amazing... I, I think Scotty from this episode should have his own ship and he should just be a captain because I really? was very impressed with his leadership. Because he, yeah, he knows it's a trap, but he still has to do his due diligence. And he's like, even it, he's like, I have to do my duty. And whatever happens, we are here to help people. And if we, if there is any chance that we can help people, we have to do that until he's the like, second one, right? So that that plays out well, fine well, in the first one. Well, that's why he knows. By that, and point, he puts it like, under his responsibility. Yeah, which but is he the says right thing so. He gives that line like, "Fool me once." Shame on you, right? Yes, it was eaten um, by a Russian. We we don't get we don't get fooled again, right? Whatever the um, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Um, yeah. The yeah, but the idea of like he's out there and he's like, well, this is obviously there's no ship. Chekhov is saying like, look, it is impossible that there was a ship here. And he's like, well, we just gotta we gotta keep leaning into the fact that we looked. Um, and then they're going back, and there's another distress call, and it's like, uh, well, I don't want to look at that one. No, um, that's not true. He's like, no, this is that's you're wrong, Paul. You're just wrong. he put it in the log, and he, he even he logged so, it as his responsibility for ignoring. Yeah. It. At a certain point, though, like the, the point the right where call. he has conclusive evidence is it's a trap is when they say um, Enterprise, please respond, and he says we didn't like they don't know we're here. Um, it's like this is conclusive enough proof to turn back. The fact that he doesn't turn back is what I'm giving him grief for. Um, he stays out there for like a while. They did their search pattern like you're supposed to, like it's required. He d- he did what he was supposed to do, and when he, you know, when it was confirmed and there is no ship, and yep, there's no ship. There's proof there's no ship. Here we go. Let's go back. Let's get the captain. And he's so commanding through the whole episode and okay, decisive fine. and stuff. So so I'm saying that Scotty <laughs> should be fired, and you're saying he should be promoted. So, yes, <laughs> it's a, somewhere I'm in, in the middle. Somewhere in between. Um, oh no, mommy and daddy are fighting. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I love Scotty in this episode. I love him. No, so I thought Scotty was just <laughs> you're, you're just wrong, Paul. Just tossing be wrong. a shuttle. I thought he was funny. No, I Does thought he was great. Count? What? He was, he, I loved he was it. Hilarious. I'm well aware of a freighter's maximum speed, Mister. He was. He had some good lines. It was great. It was fantastic. That's a good a line. Scotty yeah, it's hilarious. It was and Sulu's just like, oh my, oh yes, you're right about that. Okay, uh, so in the Scotty sequence too, I think um, I'll just try to knock out a ton of these small points, but. Um, I thought the pacing of this episode, it felt heavily edited. Um, It felt like this was a much longer episode that got chopped up and kind of pieced together because there's a sequence where they go like ground, space, ground, space, ground. I know, I agree. Um, And it is just like, oh, 10 seconds elapsed there. And it's not a scene where the timing of either of those events is important. It's not like, oh, this is happening because they're about to like bomb the planet and then it's going to happen in the other place. They're completely isolated um, scenes that are just jumping. Uh, yeah, you know what it feels like is like they were responding to someone's note or something. What do you mean? 
Like, like it's it's oh. such a, a different pacing of a, other episodes, and it's so choppy that like someone gave them the note, like a editor yeah, or some yeah. or a producer or someone, and then they were like, okay, let's make it like faster by doing this like back and forth. Well, and they have it a lot feels of, really weird. They have a lot of scenes where they cut very quick at the end. Like, there's the Star Trekky, like the TOS is that like almost look at a camera and then the camera sort of like slowly pans away as the scene fades it's very soft scene transitions in most of tos and this was very yeah, yeah. very hard scene transition transition yeah it looks like you're um, saying like it was literally cut and that would make sense if it was run. if they needed to edit a ton and they're like well we need to just buy time on the end of scenes as they didn't want to cut other stuff um it is worth saying right this is a dc fontana episode and this is a joseph pevney episode um both of who are very very strong um right well and i think that comes through there's a lot of things i like about this i thought the plots uh well like the scotty plot was sort of weak but it was made better by the dialogue and by the interactions of the character and that's what i love so much about all of the dc fontaine episodes pretty much is her like allusion to these characters yeah her character work is always really good. well let's put it's out amazing. there amazing every character is on the on the yeah right i think yeah that's yes. everybody right every character because you got yeah, uhura yep. and scotty and chekhov and sulu on the bridge and then you've got mccoy yep. and spock and um kirk on the kirk planet right on the planet this is um, actually i guess you don't have yeah, this the only... is the first episode um, of the series that all seven of the classic crew members are in a scene together. Really? Yes. Which is on that. Which is on, the... at the, on the end bridge? on the bridge. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the bridge. Yeah. Um, huh. That's interesting. I... But I love it. They have like the Bones and Kirk moments, the Scotty and Yahura moments. Mm-hmm. Like they, they call each other these nicknames. They casually touch. They just like go back and forth with these sort of derisive comments. It's... I love it. No, it does. It, they feel like a they feel like a group of people who know each other. They really do. Yeah, um, and I love her openings too because you guys know me. You know how I like it to start like they're just in the middle of a boring work day. <laughs> Man, I, I, I have the note things. that this was good quick setup, but I forget how it's set up. It starts um, off and they're like in this boring meeting, and they're all just like sitting. Oh there yeah, they're looking. And, at, they're watching TV. Yeah, yeah, and Bones <laughs> is like, yeah. Oh, and that's another thing I like. I like that Bones gets to be like the uh, cheap diplomat. Of, yeah, the the emissary between the two groups of this. He never gets to do that. And he I'm never sure gets to be like the focal character. The reason that he usually doesn't is that they might have diplomats on the ship who would be much better suited for this job. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I did up. have a He's question amazing. of why Bones was acting as a diplomat here. Like he was the one sent down and... Well, because he was uh, providing humanitarian aid at some point to them. So it makes sense. Uh, He's the only one familiar with their culture. But they were the ones, they said very clearly they did not want humanitarian aid. Right, not in a, not as a matter of like we don't. Yeah, but want he still stayed trading. there a few months, so he's the most familiar, and he does seem to have at least part of their customs down. Is the idea that he stayed there bit. a few months? How yeah, long did he, he stay there? He said it was. I think yeah, he said it a was few a months. few months. Yeah, was the ship just in orbit at that time? No, no, no. It was before he was on the Enterprise. I assume that was kind of my assumption as well. Hmm. Like it was a like before the Enterprise, he was going around the galaxy providing humanitarian aid. And contacting cultures. Okay. I, I didn't catch that. I, I like that a lot better. Which is the only reason I can uh, think of for them bi- violating the Prime Directive. Yeah. So egregiously, right? A, yeah. This was... Okay. I... All right. So they're <laughs> trying to do a mining treaty with these people. Why are they even in contact? These people do yeah. not seem to ha- be space worthy. Well, not only that. These what? people don't seem to have a mining infrastructure. It's not like they could just trade... No, they weren't. As- they were asking for mining rights. They weren't yep. asking for the people to mine. They were right. asking to be able to mine on the planet. But it's another one of these where, like, unless this mineral is concentrated solely around this camp, or the planet is completely populated with these, like, <laughs> people. Proto. Why are they going down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not just find an empty part of the planet? I mean, I mean, and that sounds horrible, right? <laughs> but from a Federation standpoint, if we're talking about Prime Directive, it's like, why not find a part of the planet that doesn't have any people on it and then just... Yeah. Or beam out the... It's like, a, that's essentially a who watches the who watches the watchers from TOS or uh, TNG, right? Where you just put a, yeah, yeah. Yep. Put a camo on the uh, place you're at and you, they weren't mining there, but were that's the same idea. Observing culture. Yeah, from I just... From a Prime Directive standpoint, though, they... It is... Oof. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of prime well, directiveness. That's... So the only thing I can think of is they were providing humanitarian aid, so it, the 
They the that, that, been contacted for that's a reason. that's a violation of the prime directive. It is. That's a huge I, violation of the prime. It directive. is. So I'm not sure. Like, but maybe that was a thing. I don't know. <laughs> It was a loophole in the Prime Directive. I, I think it, it shows that the Prime Directive is not very codified at this point. Yeah, it's true. But um, it is that, super... Oof. But they mentioned the Prime Directive, I think, at some point. I don't... I don't think they I did. thought I, I thought Bones said something about the Prime Directive. It had a very... It was a throwaway line. It wasn't... It wasn't... Yeah, maybe Whatever, right. but I thought he had one, one line about the Prime Directive. You could check the transcript. I could, but I'm not going to. Um... I'll look it up. Yeah, McCoy might have said something flippant about it. Yeah, that that's sounds... that's what I thought it was. Hold on, I'm looking it up. Prime. Nope. Directive. Mm. Nope. It's another one where they, they come up with a mineral that they need. What, topoline? The MacGuffin. Top- the, yeah. Topoline. I love I it. That they they, they say that word. every mater- mineral a MacGuffin. They because call they call it, it that once. They say that word once in the episode, I believe, and then they never dwell on it. And they never. No, it was perfect. They, it's just like, and when they talk about it later, they're like, uh, "They need our rocks," or the Klingons like, "We need the mineral too." They never say the word again. And <laughs> I love that. That is wonderful writing and acknowledgement of this is a thing you should not think about. Don't think too hard <laughs> about this word we said once. Just think about it as that mineral. Um, I think that's great writing. And again, that, that I think that shows it some was. of this experienced writing staff that knows how to do this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, can we also mention, and I think this really needs to be said, I know we say this all the time, Kirk really needs to pay attention to his briefings. And <laughs> he never will, though. He furthermore, never will. we saw him in the briefing, so we know he had it. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, first of all, he brought down that red shirt who, like, must not have been briefed at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. Like, I don't know what was up with that. And then so many things. Like, he almost takes the food. Yep. Like, like he almost gets them killed by, like, starting the fight at the very beginning. It's There's just so yeah. many full pause he has. Yep. <laughs> he also, so there's also a, um, a, a degree of casual race, uh, casual to explicit racism in this. Um, because yes. after uh, the guy gets killed for pulling a gun on the Klingon, later he says, like, that it's it's human instinct to just hate Klingons. Like, that there's there's nothing <laughs> to the, the, the yeah. picture he paints is like it's just in our blood there's nothing it's not our fault that we hate them it's just that they are to be hated um which is a very troubling message from kirk right Ooh. from uh um because they haven't really established and again if there were continuity in the series if it was like you know star trek four or three or yeah. whatever where it's like oh klingons killed my son or something um then sure he could be a little angry at them in general but yeah this seems very basic like just baseless raw racism klingons are the worst also um can we talk about how they pronounced klingon for the entire episode because it was just klingon (laughs) (laughs) well i thought some of that was from the uh boy did this did these people have a a species name did they ever talk about yes yeah they did the capellans Capellans, that's right yeah yeah. Um, and they're on capella and that's why they sing a capella that's right yep um um in their costumes Uh boy i lost my train of thought on that one um oh but they they say they they pronounce things oddly right everything that they say to them they they return back Uh in a like chopped way um so that could be some of it Right, that they no, but it was the it was, was Federation. It the Uhura okay. says Klingon. Like it was. Yeah, they all did it. They all did it. It was it was distracting. Now and kinda... this is after Balance of Terror, so they've already introduced the Klingons. Balance of Terror is Romulans. Romulans. My bad. What am I thinking? You took it to Romulans. Yeah. <laughs> Have we not? Wait, is this the first time we've had Klingons? Uh. It's the uh, first time we have had Klingons. That's what I mean. I, you this is us. a season two, right? Is that right? I'm trying to remember when Klingons are introduced in the original series. Yeah, now I can't remember. Errand of Mercy was the one they were introduced know. in. And I mean, we haven't watched that one yet, but I can't remember what season that one is. I feel like they're in season one. Yeah, we yeah, Balance of Terror is definitely Romulans, but um, it is yeah, it's the end of season one is Errand of Mercy. So we have met the Klingons before in in the series anyway. It's after Devil in the Dark is when it was 
got it okay yeah, so, yeah and this yeah. is so probably definitely... this, this is the second time so this is like this, this is the second time that they've been introduced yeah yeah, yeah. that's what it felt like yeah but yeah DC Fontana's like the only one paying attention and doing like any continuity. It's kind <laughs> of true. Serious. I, <laughs> I feel like she was the only one who was like, well, this happened earlier, so we can talk about this in an episode and we can talk, you know, these characters can kind of behave like this with each other. Yeah, she's she's the one who She's literally the only one. <laughs> Kept it together. Well, so, I mean, to be fair, there were a lot of these one-off writers. There were. And, and we, we see a lot of that where they were soliciting scripts. Um, mm-hmm. And you, yeah, get, yeah, yeah. you get weird scripts because of that. We've had some of those, like, really weird scripts. Because you have someone who doesn't really understand the show or the characters. And they're just like, oh, yeah, I wrote this sci-fi script. Just change the yeah, names. Yeah, but then you get these like be- these ones with DC Fontana. They're just so beautiful, like the Kirk being angry at Bones. No, no, and I, like, I, 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 and then they're like they have this loving exchange, and I know, and it's just it's because so you have these people like DC Fontana who are writing a bunch. Um, I know, or, or, it's just, or it's Joseph Pemney, Joseph Pemney the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, see. he did um, what? Uh, he did Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah, he did City on the Edge of Forever, Trouble with Tribbles, and Muck Time are the ones he won Hugo's for. Um, but yeah, you have these people that are doing a lot of work. Can we talk yet about how awesome Bones is? No. <laughs> I knew we would eventually what, because... What, okay, well, let's just set up, right? They're doing all this stuff, and then they take their weapons, and then Civil War happens. This is another cut that's just, like, so quick. They're just kind of casually, casually, casually chatting. <laughs> and then the next scene, they're like, oh, everybody's fighting. It's Civil War. Um, it's like there's no lead <laughs> and up over to it. really don't... quickly. Yeah, over super quick. Um, it is, yes, because they somehow killed all each other. And then in they just, just a few like, minutes. and then they lock up the crew in a tent <laughs> with two guards, uh, <laughs> and and the wife of the um, well with Julie Newmar. Um, Which I like. I don't understand her plan at all. She was improving. I think a lot of it. Right, but I mean, what I mean is, like, she says she wants, so she wants to die. Then she says she wants to live, but then she leaves them apparently because she wants to die again. No, well, she leaves after she d- has a child, so she realizes that like she's not a problem. The child is the problem because um, the child is heir to you know whatever the leader role was called, tr or tier um, or something like that. And so I think I think very quickly she realizes like, well, um, the guy I was carrying a child for is dead, and um, I, I know where this is going because mm-hmm. um, I know how my culture is. So yeah, like a cultural. Um, and then I think it is a little bit of a jump when she has the offer from them. She's like, well, it's better to live than to die. It's like, well, I mean, That's what culturally, I, didn't get. I, I could sort of see it, I guess, just from I, raw I, I did but... understand. I I think her. She was prepared to die because that is basically her culture has told her her entire life. This is how life is. And so, you know, her husband is dead. Therefore, her life is forfeit. And I think she goes with them because she's pregnant. I I really do think part of the thing is she's pregnant. And she's like, if I have a chance to have the baby, that's probably good. Yeah. So she goes with them. And then she, after she has the baby and she knocks bones out and whatever, she returns, I think, because she, in her mind, the baby is safe with McCoy. So she is going to pretend the baby died. And that way the baby will be safe. And her life is, was forfeit anyway. So she's like, I may as well be dead. Like, it's fine. As long as the kid is okay, it's fine. Yeah, the idea there at the end that she's essentially going back to, if need be, sacrifice herself to save the child. Right. And then in the um, original script that DC Fontana wrote, she does die. Oh, they just kill her when she gets back? Yeah, she sacrifices herself for the baby. Oh, okay. Which I kind of right. like a little better. but That makes way more sense. Yeah, I think that's the way, <laughs> and especially if that's how DC Fontana originally wrote it, that she yeah. was actually. Roddenberry made her change it. Huh. Yeah, I guess you don't want to yeah. kill DC, or, um, well, Julie Newmar. But I thought the baby also died too in the original. No, I don't think it did. She because she sacrificed. What I understood from Memory Alpha is in the original she sacrifices herself for the baby. All right. So. So, yeah, they're they're in this they're not cell. They're in this tent, and they have a pillow fight. Then they break out. Um, 
And they used the word communicators as sonic screwdrivers, right? <laughs> True story. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Rocks explode with a sonic relay or yeah. whatever they did. Yeah, why, don't, why don't they do that more I'm not often? sure. Why don't they, they have a... Look, if that's what you could do... If you could do that with two communicators that you could keep in your pocket, why not put two giant room-sized things on the Enterprise and just blow things up from a distance without having to... Right? <laughs> So many questions. It would fix way too many plot holes, Paul. Yeah, I think that when like, oh, we could just use these communicators. That that was a weird one. Well, there's um, some questionable science always, but in this episode, like, there's the communicator thing, bad. and then there's Bones feeling Aline's stomach and being like, yeah. "Yep, you're ready to give birth anytime now." And, and I'm like, also, How yeah, do so you I guess know? we are... no, 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 that's actually true. If you talk to midwives, because the baby positions itself. I mean, she should be having contractions. Well, that's the thing. I'm like, she, she, also, even if it was a she also he also says several times that she's humanoid, but not human. That he doesn't know anything that's, about yeah, her anatomy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't make sense. But if it were a human, you could easily tell from feeling. Is my understanding because the baby turns around, it positions its like head at the base of the uterus, and like you can tell like well, the person's it, about to give birth. But I, I thought it was. I I didn't think that was quite as accurate because the no. baby turns at any point because that's when you you know the baby turns as the trimester progresses. But that doesn't necessarily mean you yeah. know, you're ready to give birth. It just means that the trimester is at a specific point. And he also has a tricorder. No, it gets lower. It get, and that's what causes the water to break. Well, that would be another sign. Like, if her water just broke. <laughs> well, but, yeah, which I guess I kind of interpreted as she wasn't human. So, like, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But in terms of a human, it did make a little bit of sense. It's It's also a weird... Again, he has a tricorder, and yet he's, like, <laughs> feeling her up against her will, essentially. Um, when he could... Tell me another time in TOS where McCoy touches a patient that much, right? Ever. He never does. He uses tricorders, right? In TOS, doctors do not touch patients. Uh, I don't think that's accurate. And I'm going to think of something. Okay, you can think of something. <laughs> all Unless right, how about when he performs all his surgery? That's lasers. Surgery, right? And they use lasers, <laughs> right? There's very few hands-on doctory things that McCoy does. Um, and this one is troubling since the patient is like, please stop touching me. And he's like, mm. no, um, to the point that like... Well, okay, so it is troubling, but then I was thinking about it more. And I think, and it's the part where he, where they like slap each other too. Yeah. Um, I think that he's a, a generous interpretation would be that he's playing along to their, their cultural culture. norms. I think that's a generous interpretation. I agree. <laughs> yes. That and so like he's doing what's best for her and the baby, and it's coming across by our standards as creepy and a little bit. Um, well, non-consenting, but for their culture, that's what would be expected, which is why then she acquiesces and essentially, like, uh, uh, attaches herself to him, like, romantically, <laughs> yeah. which was hilarious. Yeah. I don't even know if it's quite um, romantic. I, I think it's I think it's more cultural as well. Where almost it's a, like, almost oh. in a property sense. Yeah, yeah. honestly. It, it didn't feel quite romantic to me. It felt like, oh, I have okay. transferred ownership, basically. Yeah. I, you know, he's claimed me, so it's fine. Yeah, if he touches yeah. me, it's fine. Like, whatever. And yeah, he's claimed that. the child. Yeah. So I kind of yeah, yeah, feel yeah. more like that than romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably... I mean, the only, like... Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of the hand scene where then Spock walks in, which I laughed at for like two minutes. That was minutes. funny, because Spock's oh face gosh. was great. <laughs> yeah, because Spock is asking these same questions. Again, again, if he had lost his tricorder at the same time, but I, I do believe he still has his tricorder, though, right? He has he his did. medical supplies. So um, if his tricorder can't tell him the position of the baby, I, like his hand cannot tell him better information than a tricorder. Presumably, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I. I mean, maybe that's part of their culture too. That they don't. I. I guess that they I, don't maybe, use tricorder. Uh, I mean, maybe it's part of his plan. Like he's purposefully manipulating her, and I don't know. I mean, is that better or worse? I think it's better because Bones is, Bones is following the Hippocratic oath, so he's trying to save the life of that baby, and he's trying to save the life of her, and he's gonna do that no matter what he has to do. And he does that consistently in the series, more so I'd say than other doctors in other or other Star Trek series. I think the trick is like he takes these essentially risk risky behaviors 
um, that work because it's television and they work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you were to do this a hundred times, it would fail more likely than not, or it would be wrong more likely than not. Like he does these sorts of things and gets away with them because he's written to. Um, so I don't think. I mean, yeah, that's like his character. Like, like, yeah. And yeah, I think this I is one of, I, I don't think this is one of Bones' stronger episodes. I don't, I, I don't know. I know you love Bones. I loved it. <laughs> to the, to I the absolutely degree, right? think There's it a is. later one, too, where, like, she's having the child, and he's like, say these things. Like, <laughs> just almost choking her and, like, say these things. It's like, this is not a good, this is not a good look for a doctor. Um, I think I might have repressed that part. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what you're talking um, about. Where he says, like, say the baby is, is um, right? And there's this, like, who's on first act that goes on? <laughs> because he tells her to say, um, what? The, the baby's mine. It's my baby. Because in, yeah. in their culture, the baby belongs to the father or whatever. Yeah. And she has So no he says, say it. it's mine. And then she says, it's yours. And he's like, no. <laughs> and it's this whole who's on first. And it's like, this is... <laughs> Not this is just dumb. It um, was just dumb, but I I still laugh. I also I laughed, laughed a little, right? It's a, I love so, a good who's on first routine, but also I'm a desk doctor, not an escalator. Yes. Oh yeah, that good. was a good one. That was, that was a good one. I was so happy. Mm. Also, I didn't understand the exchange with McCoy and Kirk during that scene. I think Paul, it's right after the one you're talking about. The baby's mine, the baby's mine, or whatever. Or it's right thereabouts. Is Kirk supposed to be jealous? Because this was advertised as Kirk and her being a couple. Oh, I, I looked know. at some some contemporary. I mean, isn't it always? Ads. Yeah, but it, like the ads for this are just her and Kirk embracing. Well, you would want that, right? That's Julie Nomar and William Shatner. Mm. Um, you got to put that on your promotional materials. It doesn't matter. Yeah, what, that's what I mean. But then that didn't come across in the episode, or it came across so little. I was wondering if that's the implication. Oh, I didn't think Kirk was jealous. I think he was just confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he was. Because right, that's what I thought too. He did have enough time to make bows, though, and not like one bow, but multiple bows. <laughs> oh my god, that <laughs> and had a really long range. <laughs> yeah, too. right, and like, was super <laughs> accurate. Yeah, like, hit, hit the Klingon in the <laughs> knee. Right? <laughs> They're not even aiming for center of mass. Oh they're like, they're not, they're arrows that are not sticks? straight, right? They're, <laughs> they're sticks. I know. They're sticks. Yes, they're sharpened sticks. Uh, I think they, sticks. I think they came up with fletches for them. I mean, that would yeah, not be the hardest Yeah, they part, did. But, but did, have you guys ever tried to shoot an arrow where, yes. Like, the, yes. The, no, no, no. Listen, where the no, feathers I'm saying, were like that? I'm saying, like the I've tried to shoot. The feathers were uneven. <laughs> I'm saying, I've tried to shoot a modern arrow made of like <laughs> modern materials, and you could not yeah, hit that yeah, at yeah. that distance no. if you were not someone who, unless Kirk and Spock well, are and they like recurved. archery aficionados. <laughs> and they weren't recurved bows. The bows yeah. were very simplistic. No. They, you wouldn't have had the range on those. Nope. That's no. not how archery works. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is you could have given them a modern, like, carbon fiber, <laughs> like, and they could not have hit yeah, from yeah, that yeah, distance. Yeah. Seriously. No, no, no. Point taken. That was hilarious. I well, loved and it. Well, and the bowstrings that they were making out of, like, the tree fiber. Tree, yeah, tree A of all, Spock can braid, apparently, because that's yeah, what right. he's doing. <laughs> Those bo- those bows, man. Those bows. I couldn't with that. Uh, they are probably one of my favorite props that we've seen. Oh, man. They're great bows. I mean. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I couldn't even with that. Oh, that made me really happy, you guys. <laughs> oh, no. Well, to go and talk about the baby a little bit. So, Oh, by the way, I just found my notes. And no, I was right, Abby. In Do- Dorothy Fontana's original script, Eileen sacrificed the child for her life. Oh, I didn't read that. I thought it was... Gene Roddenberry objected to this and changed the ending to what appears in the finished episode. Fontana also envisioned Aline as a strong woman who rebels against a society which considers women only as mothers and homemakers. Hmm. So that's what I thought, too. So I don't think she was being, like, good to the child at all. I think she was legitimately trying to get rid of that child. She would get back into society that way either way, right? So it's hard to read the motive on it. Um... Yeah, I thought she was a total like. Oh, I, I didn't think she. Was I mean, being, I like, buy that she's nice. manipulating them. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, either sure. way, she is. Well, but, but if she wanted to get back into society's good graces, she she would have run to them and said, "Hey, my kids in the cave, and so are they. Let's go ambush them." Like, 
that would have been... I, I think she's trying to make herself look better. Like she killed him all. Oh, that she already killed him. Mm, okay, yeah, I like yeah. that. I, that's a good read too. Hmm. So, and then, so she was just trying to get them all to leave before, and hoping that they would just go away. Yeah, hmm. And who knows? She has fuzzy post-birth brain. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was that's a thing. thing. Also, there's no blood for having just delivered a baby. I know, I was like, aliens, did they actually aliens. go get water and clean the baby off? <laughs> because <laughs> the baby would not look like that. <laughs> Unless this is like a species that just has no blood. They, it's like, just pops out. <laughs> that They're seems- aliens. I mean, it's a thing, I guess, but also... I mean, let's say, look, we said that, like, she didn't have a situation where her water broke, and she didn't have any visible contractions at any point, and then the whole labor takes, like, an hour? Maybe. Like, how long does it take them to make two bows? Not very long. Um, (laughs) Because time spans in this one are pretty... uh, You could pin them down, but, I mean, it also is a question of how long did Scotty just sort of sit there and sweep an area of space Um, (laughs) couldn't have been that long yeah so i don't know but the baby who ends up being named leonard james akar which is hilarious and (laughs) has a great line at the end with spock (laughs) you guys are gonna be insufferable for a month at least (laughs) yeah and then that look that look leonard nimoy it was so good it was so good but it might be one of my favorite spock looks yeah the it, uh the baby does does eventually in the novels become an admiral in Starfleet and shows up and does stuff later. Huh. He doesn't. That's I don't amazing. think he ever has his own like books or whatever, but he does show up in in the novelizations later. Um, specifically, DS Nine books, I guess, is what I was reading. That would be about the time so, frame. Yeah. Huh. Mhm. So he does he does stuff. It's fun. For a you know for Friday's child. Whatever, the most oh, wait, is that weird... the... Huh, that's... Okay. It's like, yeah, who is... Fr- I guess that's the Friday's Child. Yeah, it's Friday's Child. So, okay, so here's... Here's... I know this poem, right? This Me too. The, the you know, I, I've read this poem. I do not. However, okay, so it's Monday's Child... Uh, this is where it gets tricky. Oh, wait. So... Is it... Okay, maybe Monday's I do. Monday's Child is full of grace. No, ferret-faced. But, um... Right. then Tuesday's Child Did you say Monday's Child is ferret-faced? <laughs> yes. No. Fair of face. <laughs> So the, the poem it. as it is now and as it was originally written um, in 1838, because I looked it up, uh, Monday's child is fair of face, Tuesday's child is full of grace, Wednesday's child is full of woe, Thursday's child has far to go, Friday's child is loving and giving, Saturday's child works hard for a living, and the child and that the is child born on the Sabbath day is bonny and blithe and good and gay. However, yeah. there is a version of the poem that was in Harper's Weekly in September of 1887, where some of the days were mixed up and Friday's oh. Child was the Friday's Child is full of woe instead of uh, uh, Friday's Child is loving and giving. So is that what they're referencing? So that is what they're referencing. They're referencing the Harper's Weekly version, not the original. Um, All right. Well, because by the time this was published in Mother Goose, just like a decade later, uh, it's fixed. Yes. And even in... that's what I learned as a kid. Yeah, it's what I learned as well. So I, that's why I was very confused because when I was going through the poem in my head, uh, when I was looking at the episode originally, I was like, Friday's child is, I'm like, Friday's child is loving and giving. How is this a thing? And then I read on the interwebs that they were referencing a different version of the poem where it's Friday's child is full Mm -hmm. of woe. But as far as I can tell, that's one of the only places where the Friday's Child is full of woe version exists is in that Harper's Weekly. Like the Oxford um, version of it from like the 50s is the version that we all know better. It's just, it was very confusing to me and I'm not really sure they, I guess Friday's Child maybe sounded better as a title than Wednesday's Child. I don't know. I don't know. They might have, I mean, hmm. they might have. Y- you, it might have been just like one writer that thought that, and then no one else fixed it. Yeah, I, yeah I mean, there's many reasons that it, it could be the thing, but it bothers me a little bit as a person <laughs> because I'm like the more well-known version of this is Wednesday's child is full of woe, but that's what they were going for is is child full of woe. It's basically it. That makes sense. Yeah. What day were you guys born? Tuesday. Monday. I was also a Monday child. Oh, that's why we're so beautiful. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what's the Tuesday ones again? You're full of You're grace. You're full of grace. Oh, obviously. Um. <laughs> that does make sense. 
Um, We're all in agreement here. <laughs> boy, I don't think I've ever heard that poem, but I swear there's a song from like the 60s or something, a pop song. I'm going to say like, like Moody Blues or something that has lyrics like that in there with Days and then Childs or something. It's possible. <laughs> days and Childs, wow. Um, any case, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Guys, I'm just looking through my notes again to see if I missed anything, and I just can't help but notice that every other line in here is caps lock, Kirk, read your briefing. <laughs> it's just half of what I have. It's never going to happen, Charles. I have, never I have, read the briefings. I have one note that I've been trying to sneak in, but there hasn't been a good point until I could just tag off that. So but, just um, do it. <laughs> Sue has a virtual boy in his desk, like inside his desk, and it pops out. The Nintendo Virtual Boy what? from the 90s. I don't know what that is. Let's search for that. Uh all Nintendo right, Virtual right Boy. It was a virtual. It was a very early uh, virtual reality system in the nineties. Oh wow! And oh, it just I, pops I've right on out of his desk. Seen one of those? Oh man, I had one. It was great. You could play tennis and it hurt your eyes. <laughs> it hurt your eyes a lot. <laughs> the ones now are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the same sort of idea that that different so two different was... images could be given to each of your two eyes. Yeah. Um, but they were all like red. So it was Come early on, VR, basically. Yeah, they, they didn't like, have the technology. It was like 95. Um, but yeah, this is what pops out of his desk, essentially. <laughs> like, when they are... So fancy. Uh, closing in on the Klingon ship. It's like, go to alert, and then this pops out. It's like, man. <laughs> Star Trek, once again, predicting technology of the future. Yep. Oh. Well, I have one more note, which is that the score for this was fan freaking tastic, you guys. That bassoon music. Yeah, I did like the music on this one. And a lot of it's like, from what I can remember in the series, is not repeated, and that's very sad <laughs> and unusual. It is <laughs> like a like some of it was, but a lot of it wasn't. I actually don't think I noticed the music this episode, which is weird. I there were a do. lot of. There were a lot of those good, um, I, I mean, almost interstitial musics of, of like something happens and then, you know, a clarinet or a flute or something plays um, to like give the read of, of what just happened. Um, or there, the, the lulls in conversation and the lulls in action were well orchestrated. Yeah, they did a good job. It was an episode. I will probably yeah. forget it. Yeah, boy. 20 minutes. It's a good question of why it's so forgettable, because those costumes are not forgettable. They are not. Well, I was wondering if maybe, uh, this is probably a long shot, but maybe because there's so many of these Cold War metaphor episodes that it just gets, like, lost in our mind yeah, as I mean, one of those. We haven't even talked about that, right? That We've barely talked about the Klingons, and ostensibly this is supposed to be, I would a think, Klingon a, cold, yeah, a yeah, Cold War yeah. metaphor that you have Russia and the U.S. trying to intervene in a proxy war um, yeah. to get resources or something. Get a resource. Um and yeah, they. I, I give them a lot of grief when Kirk comes out and says, "Remember that time in the 20th century when the U.S. and Russia were also doing this thing," and and like really puts a hat on it, but in a like a really really big hat. Yeah. Um, I give them grief for that, but I thought this was a little too far in the other direction where they barely talk about it. I, yeah, I, I, it was underdone. Maybe maybe in the 60s it would have been so omnipresent that like this was a subtlety that would have hit. Um, but I think it was a little subtle. That's kind of what I think. I, so, I, I mean, to be fair, it probably was easier to see in the 60s. But I'd rather have him doing this than be as heavy-handed as, like, Omega Glory, though. Oh, oh God. God. I, I don't even want to think about Omega Glory. I do want to forget that exists. I know, and I can't. It's very <laughs> sad. So, in terms of um, villains or antagonists, I think it's the, the Is guy. Is it the Klingons? I mean, he does nothing, though, right? And he's not, he's never, he's never really trying to kill him until the very end, right? No, and he's super easily himself killed. I think it's the guy who takes over. Who, right? yeah, he's, we didn't talk about him, and he was a very interesting character. He's the only one with a different costume, right? It's true, but he, he actually was super interesting, and like at first you're like, oh, we hate him because he's he with the Klingons and he does stuff and er and thro- overthrows the tear and blah blah blah, and then later he's like, nah, I'll listen to what you say, Earthman. Let's see how this goes. I well, thought he was doing he... a good job of um, 
you know that sort of diplomacy where he's um, sort of see, hearing both sides. Cause yeah, like maybe maybe they got a better deal playing both sides against each other. Yeah, it yeah. Was... I mean, he does what's necessary to, to essentially stage a coup, but then he ends up being a pretty good leader. And in the end, he like strongly sticks to his own moral code. Yeah, because, and sacrifices and, himself and it's... sacrifices himself for his sense of duty yeah. or what, like their cultural, you know. Yeah, it was. It of... was he was interesting. He was an interesting character. Yeah, I agree. Well, so as is in terms of strength or um, going on our list, um, his name is Mob, by the way. M A A B. I've forgotten that, but I just looked it up. Mob. Yeah. Mob. Um, Which just makes me think of Muad'Dib and Dune. So oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk about Muad'Dib all the time. But, we do. Um, <laughs> it comes up more often than you think. I mean, I would love an episode to have a Quizakatoak in it. But, um, <laughs> Let's Even not. a fake one. What? What? Chelsea, you've never read Dune, right? You should no. You should read Dune. Dune is... I don't want to. But Dune is amazing. Dune is so it's, good. Ugh. Oh, it's such a good... That's a anyway. good book. Anyway. Um, yeah, this guy's down with the humans, right? I mean, he's not the Gorgon. Absolutely. So, um, I would, man, that human list is getting long. He's probably towards the top of it, though, right? Because he does... He's a good fighter. Um, yeah. I guess. All right, can you start reading some names? Romulan, Sarek, Balok. Um, right, they both had ships, and I mean, that's largely right, why they gave it to them. No, no, no. So I don't so. think spacefaring people. Um, so no, he's, no, he's no. got to be below that. But then you got Kirk 2, Tracy oh, from the. Than Kirk too. Tracy from the Omega Glory, right? Tracy from the oh, Omega he's Glory. He's better than Tracy too. Um, Mira Kirk, Landrew, Shoreleaf Guy, Gideon, right? I think he's better than any of them. Yeah, so, I think he's just below spacefaring humans and above regular humans. So that if, like, Kirk, too, had gotten in a fight with him. Like, if Kirk had gotten in a fight with this guy, I don't think Kirk could have taken him. If Kirk did not no. get into a fight with this guy ever. No. He um, would have had to outsmart him. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't have taken him. He would have had to, like, blow up rocks with Reels. communicators. Um, which he did. It might have worked. I mean, he could have waited till they were in the past and then tried to crush him. Yeah, that would have made <laughs> but, more uh, sense. Um, but sure. Um, I, well, and maybe, either way. I mean, it's possible he was still trying to follow the prime directive in some semblance, but... Um, I, mm, I think that's generous. I mean, I'm pretty happy with him right above Kirk, Kirk too. If that's let's do it. Cool. That was easy. Yeah, I'm cool with it. These humans are much easier than space clouds. So, <laughs> bingo wise, there was yeah. a lot in this one. There was well, a lot. I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Yeah. A red shirt dies. Red shirt dies. Um, the Klingons appear. There's a recurring character, probably right. They get trapped on the planet because they get their communicators taken away. Do the phasers not work? No, the phasers work. The phasers work. They just don't have them. Um, yeah. Uh, there's Scotty and Sulu and Chekhov. And yeah, right. Know. All the characters are there. Um, I don't know if they say their things. McCoy doesn't drink, but he was probably drinking before he started. <laughs> he probably <laughs> did drink at some point. I think it's pretty clear he has a drink at some point based on his uh, behavior. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still don't think we got it because we never do. And I hate this game and it's rigged. But it's not rigged. I think this is the best <laughs> chance we've had in a while, so I'm gonna say yes. All right. Um, so we were one away. Oh, it was so close, you guys. But there were uh, a lot in this episode. Um, so on on the card, uh, this time around, uh, away team is trapped on the planet. Their red shirt dies. Right. Chekhov claims something is invented by a Russian. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sulu does set a course, which is exciting. Uh, there's a recurring actor, because there usually is. Uh, Klingons are there. Uh, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Uh, and the Prime Directive is super ignored. Um, there wasn't a slot on this sheet for the captain's log, although there is a captain's log. Um, and Scotty needed... gives one too, right? Scotty gives a supplemental. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. But, but it's, yeah, yeah but That's the square's true. not there. So, you know, we needed a he's dead gym, and we would have had it. Oh, and there was a perfect I know, opportunity. There, was. there were there were actually I think a couple. Um so I know yeah. McCoy oh, looks man. at the dead guy, then he looks at Jim and he doesn't and even he doesn't say, say it. And then like they just kind of like let him drop. I thought that was an interesting <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was terrible doctor. So so Bones right let us there. down. If Bones had only said he's dead, Jim, we would have had it. It was can so we, close. Can I say yeah. those, those pointy frisbees they have are uh I thought those were cool they did props. <laughs> I, I would use one of those. There were a few there. times, like, they must have been throwing them hard. Um, because They're sharp so, fidget spitters. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. The Klingon, when uh, the Klingon got hit, hit by one, um, it switches he, to his yeah, stunt, yeah. Uh, his stunt um, 
actor stunt actor uh yeah uh when he gets stunt hit double. and then yeah. stunt double um and then when he falls it's back to the original character but they used a stunt double for that hit it's like man how hard were they throwing these things <laughs> like how heavy were they um probably i mean to get him to stick like that that was a that was a that was an effect shot they yeah, did not they, actually they, throw things at the not actors that's it. not a thing <laughs> why was it the stunt double then for the fall probably for the i fall. think i mean it hit them right it, yeah it, and then they grabbed it and that's why it stuck right they were always like carrying it from the bottom to hold it um mm. and but i think yeah the idea would be like you don't want a main actor somebody's throwing it maybe they hit you in the face or something i guess it was a piece of yeah. wood or I don't know what they were made of, but it could have hurt. Yeah, something. Well, thanks. Oh, well. They were cool props. They were cool. They were. They looked snazzy. All right. So should we find out what we're watching next week, you guys? Oh, I see the hat. <laughs> what the these stands, Jels? Oh, she doesn't even have it on camera. I don't. <laughs> it's off, it's off frame. <laughs> no, that's not true. I see it. It's right there. Oh, my goodness. One of these days. You miss me. You miss me in real life. <laughs> oh, so it's this one. The oh, longest <laughs> the longest title in the history of the world. Oh boy, let us try to guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It longest. could be anything. The, it really uh, is literally so one, the longest. Oh God, there's one on the tip of my tongue. Oh, is it if the earth is hollow oh. and some blah, 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 and so something blah, blah, blah? Correct. So yep. it is season three, episode eight, for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. sky. The Enterprise yep. discovers an apparent asteroid that is on a collision course of the planet is actually an ancient populated generational ship. Awesome. Guys, this is another <laughs> McCoy-centric one. I am so excited. Okay. Anyway. Uh, all right, folks. Don't forget to follow us on social medias of your choice. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, 3D Beam Up, you'll find us, I'm sure. And don't forget to subscribe and tell people. Give us a rating if you're so inclined. All that kind of fun stuff. And join us next time when we watch For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky.